6 to 7 p.m. Sport on with Tabi Somosia. I describe him as, as, as one of the, the tough guys. Uh, one of the, you know, we had a few in the dressing room um, that uh, springs to mind. You know, De Villiers, Vessels, um, Brian McMillan, Pat Simcox. You know, hard characters that play the game really, really tough. Um, um, I think that Farney was one of those guys. You know, brought up in Pretoria, played in a, in a, in a very, very good northern Transvaal side back in those days, and uh, as they were known. Um, but also, he's a he's a he's a prankster. He's funny. He's always the guy that is um, um, is willing to you know, especially in in the subcontinent wherever we toured. He was on his bike. He used to get a bike from somewhere, um, get on it and cycle into town. And you know, in India when we had nothing to do, was firing firing rockets and all sorts of crackers off the balcony of the of his hotel room. Um, so yeah, he looked. He was a funny guy. He was a funny guy, a hardworking guy, and a dead straight you know, shooter. You know, he didn't mince his words with anybody. If he thought he would needed to say something, um, he pretty much uh, would do that. You know, so he was a, he was a, but he was a top, a top man, a great team man. And a very good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us on SAFM Spot On uh, this evening with me, Tabi Somosia, Katlaho Mudiba, and uh, Timmy T are producing uh, the show, and uh, Sylvester Komane in Technical. It is a flashback Friday, which means we go down memory lane then with some of our sporting greats from years gone by, and uh, I think we are, um, if you were listening to us last week, you probably would know who we are speaking to. If you had that opening clip, that is the great fast bowler, Alan Donald himself, talking about our guest tonight, and it is our honor and pleasure to say that we're going to be talking to the man that donned the green and yellow of the Proteas with great passion, a man who gave his all whenever he was called up. His call-up might have come late in his career, but he certainly made the most of it and produced some wonderful wonderful performances uh, with the ball and with the bat to some extent. He's widely remembered by many for helping the Proteas defend that 117 in Australia in that 93-94 season in only his second Test match, which, which remains the staff of legends. I'm sure if you watch that game, you remember it like it was just yesterday. We are talking about Fanny De Villiers, the former first bowler of the Proteas, better known as Fanny Fanny during his playing days. So he's going to be our guest for the next hour. We couldn't get to him uh, last week and uh, thankfully Fanny has agreed to speak to us uh, this evening and we appreciate that. So please send us your questions or anything you would like to ask Fenecha Fani. And uh, like many former cricketers, he's covered out a career as a respected Afrikaans commentator. And uh, now he's also the commentator that busted the Aussies during that ball tempering scandal here in South Africa in 2018. So lots to talk about with Fenecha Fani de Villiers. You can send your voice notes right now on 061-4104-107. That is our WhatsApp number. If you prefer to call us or speak directly to the man as we reflect and celebrate his career then you can call us on 0891-104207 for those who prefer to sms quick fingers 41391 is our sms line and we're going to speak to the great funny de Villiers after this break SABC launched an educational channel to help support learners to study remotely. The channel's robust PBA schedule ranges from formal, informal to interactive learning. The SABC Education channel will be digitally streamed via the following platforms. SABC Education Portal, SABC Education Virtual Academy, SABC 1, 2 and 3's websites and social media platforms.
Check the SABC Education website for more information. SABC Education. Enriching minds. Enriching lives. Zansi's Sporting Milestones, Moments and Stories. Flashback Fridays with Tabiso Musia. And without wasting any further time, let's welcome uh, Proteus legend Fanny Develius on SAFM. Fanny, good evening, sir. Thank you very much for speaking to us tonight on SAFM. Oh, thank you, Tabisa. I'm sorry about last time. Last weekend was an absolute nightmare. And no uh, and, and uh, hopefully it's going to work out better tonight. No problem, Fanny. We appreciate that you've been able to find time to speak to us again. But how is lockdown treating you? Well, it's an interesting question. You're saying finding time. I think we've got ample time. <laughs> <laughs> we've got more time than anything ever. It's, uh, it's not often that your husband go out of your home more than you. So... <laughs> So it's an interesting time that we that we're living in, and it's actually wonderful uh, time with family members. It's yeah. uh, it's 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 getting back to the old days, most probably. Not that I know it. Mm. I'm 55 years old, but uh, probably the age groups of 80 plus would say this is the kind of time that we had when we were farming, or that uh, that we had in our holidays, or whatever the case may be. It's a busy life that we're all living today, mm. and, uh, and 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 this break. For a lot of families, has been probably very good. Yeah, even some of the sports stars that we've been talking to during lockdown, they say this is a time to spend with family because they're always traveling, moving up and down. Well, interesting, interesting you're talking about it. I think they're the only ones that, that would really, really say that all the time. Um, you know, in, in, even in our days when we played, and I'm talking about 20 years back, mm. um, most of the time we spent between 10 and 11 months a year away from your own house. Ooh. Now, that gives you an indication of how tough international sport can be. Mm. Um, if I offer you a job and say, listen, my friend, um, you've got to spend 11 months a year out of your own bed, out of your house, away from your kids and your family, do you want this job? Would you take it? No, I don't think so. No, Interesting. Thanks. Interesting. No, now, uh, today the boys are making good money, yeah. um, and, and we're talking millions. But in those days, I think my last salary check mm. that I received in uh, 1998 um, the basic check was about twenty grand, and uh, and and probably another ten or twelve thousand rand bonuses on top of it. So it wasn't a lot of money, and with forty percent tax, a lot we gave up a hell of a lot to play international cricket in those days. Guys are finding it much easier today, mm. but uh, it was tough. Especially with T Twenty cricket, eh, funny with T Twenty, they can go around the world and make millions. It's amazing. Some guys are making between thirty and fifty million in a T20 series, and I'm talking mm. about the IPL now. Mm. A.B. de Villiers, for instance, that stopped um, playing for South Africa, um, I wonder what kind of money he's making when it comes to the IPLs all around the world that he's playing at this stage. 50 million, 70 million, 90 million, mm. it's, it's huge. And there's a big debate on T20 cricket, whether uh, the purists are saying that maybe it's not cricket, but some say cricket needs T20 now to survive. And even the young cricketers, when you speak to now, they no longer want to play test cricket funny. They are focused on making millions in T20 cricket. Where do you stand in this debate? I think it would be remiss of me not to uh, talk about how T20 cricket has evolved the game of cricket. Mm. Um, uh, If you look at the averages per day, the totals per day, uh, of, of, of 70 in a test match in a day's batting going down to 350 now. It's because of T20. It evolved even test cricket. Guys have got better strokes, more strokes, more uh, controlled st- strokes and and, and uh, not even to talk about 50 over cricket. 50 mm. over cricket 
240 was a very good score. Okay. Now 300 plus is a good score. Yeah. And uh, T20 has taken that to, to uh, the game of 50 over cricket. And uh, I think not only a money spinner, which is what she talked about, mm. it's much deeper than it, it evolved the game mm. in the batting side with variations and obviously in the bowling side also with a lot of variations that you need to be more effective. So it's definitely good for the game. And do you think maybe that's how the Indian bowlers have, have benefited now? Because we're seeing those fast bowlers, a bruma in them now. They can go and bowl anywhere instead of uh, usually being comfortable in their own conditions. I think a bigger, a bigger advantage wasn't really the T20 cricket. The bigger advantage was the model of, uh, of, of uh, the T20 games, the IPL. Mm. If they can... Um, I want to take you back to when I was a youngster, 21 years old, and uh, we had Sylvester Clark, Hartley Elaine, um, Franklin Stevenson from the West Indies, Kali Charan, those kind of guys playing amongst us. Mm, and a few years later, he played with me at Northerns. And, I mean, what you learned from him, uh, if you're inquisitive uh, and, and teachable, is massive. Mm. And, the I, and, and, and the IPL, the whole model is, let's get 15 or 10 or 15 or 20 of the best players around the world at our club, and they coach for two months and tell our youngsters how to play the game of cricket, how to scratch it, or how to polish it, or whatever it is that they mm-hmm. teach them. And suddenly the game evolves. It's it's like Alexander the Great that opened up um, Africa to the east, to the north, to Europe, and suddenly all the knowledge of the world came together. That evolved the life that we that we're living today. If that didn't happen, we probably would have been much further back. So IPL evolved the game to the next level so much quicker. And just just on the on the issue of fast bowlers, uh, uh, funny we actually spoke to Mfune Kongam last night, and I asked him if fast bowlers are made or are they are they born? Where do you use? What's your view? I think a lot of people, even the United Cricket Board, are making a huge mistake by saying a fast bowler is born. Um, the problem with fast bowling is very few coaches around South Africa is teaching the kids to run in quick and to try and finish your action. They run in slow because they're not strong at the age of 7, 8, 9, 10. And because of that, they still run in slow when they 15, 16, 17, 20, and then they try to bowl quick. And for a fast bowler, to not have momentum means that you're not going to be as fast as you should be. I've had many a bowler at my house, and I've got nets everything here, mm. where I said, come, let's charge in now. Um, I want you to charge in and to try and bowl as quickly as you can by running in quick. And they all bowl a meter and a half quicker, but they obviously spray it. They mm-hmm. haven't got the, the, mic, the, the, um, the aim proper yet. But with training and extra muscle training and extra muscle endurance training, you can actually bowl much faster. So you can bring me any bowler that's mm-hmm. bowling 130 k's an hour, and I will make him a 140 k's an hour bowler within six to eight to, 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 to a year, mm-hmm. just because of coaching and because of the dynamics. I've heard too many a time in my life that fast bowlers are born. It's the biggest load. I don't want to say what. Um, it's, a, it's a cliche that's everybody using, that everybody's using. And I think it's very sad if one uses exceptions as a rule. Uh, you can't say you can't become a 100-meter uh, 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 meter runner because you use, my, you use bolt as an example. Mm. You need to go through the training, through the muscle training, through the technical and off of it. And obviously then you will get much closer to it. So I can create, you give me 50 bowlers, I'll create 45 of those into, and change them into fast bowlers within a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I don't agree with the, the old school. I think it's because I haven't really coached. 
and they haven't really tried it. It's a cliche that's being used by United Cricket Board and by a lot of people that I think is completely wrong. Yeah, thank you. And Funekongamba on the same page, he also said, shared similar sentiments. Yeah, but what about swing? You were known for swing, Funny. Do you think that our bowlers these days are using uh, swing effectively? I'm very worried about the lack of swing bowling, the lack of bowling coaches. Um, just to give you an example, and, and, and I'm t- taking nothing away from the Dave Nosworthys and all the coaches that, that in South Africa at this stage. Um, playing against England, the Freitas, wonderful swing bowlers, yes, spent yes. a lot of evenings drinking ciders and whatever with him, trying to pick his brain. Ruiz in his front, Kirtley Ambrose, to Wells, to all the bowlers there, especially the swing bowlers, Kirtley Ambrose spent a lot of time with him, analyzing the game, talking about it. So if you're inquisitive, if, you, if, if the dear Lord is giving you two talents, and that's to be inquisitive and teachable, those are the people that knows exactly what it takes. And if you if you are part of the swing bowling fraternity and you play against Pakistan and you don't spend 10 evenings with Waka Yunus and Vasim Akram and learn how they do it or find out how they've done it, then um, I'm afraid to say out of the book you cannot coach swing bowling. And I've, I've really spoken to everybody and I know for a fact that a lot of guys even playing international cricket right now can swing the ball if they just change a small thing here. And I'm not talking about uh, more than a 2-3% action change. I'm talking about angles. Mm-hmm. It can The guys can swing it. And I'm afraid to say with the whole um, runaway of coaches uh, into the business world because they're not getting paid properly and it, because it's it's a new South Africa that's, that's forcing a lot of guys to go and search for pound and dollar values instead of rand values, um, I'm afraid to say that we've lost a lot of people that knows how to do it, that's not in the system now. And even the guys in the system, you can name me any coach, and I will spend the hour with him, and he will say, my goodness, I never thought of that. My goodness, I haven't seen that before. Or because I haven't been there. So if you haven't played the game mm. at that level, I'm afraid to say the, the finer motor, the last five degrees of coaching, if you want to call it, to explain it that way, you won't be able to take that to your players. You can probably get to 95%, but the fine tune is what you need at international level. I'm afraid to say I don't trust the coaches that hasn't played at the top level and also coaches that wasn't inquisitive and teachable when they did play for South Africa. I'm, I'm afraid to say they weren't able to be good coaches either when it comes to the refined coaching that I'm talking about, not the normal provincial coaching. For those who are just joining our conversation, we are talking to uh, Proteus legend uh, Fanny De Villiers, just reflecting on his career, picking his brain about uh, fast bowling, of course, swing bowling, uh, which is what he was known for. And I can see the voice notes are coming through on 0614104107. But I want to go to the lines first because we've got uh, somebody who must have commented a lot of matches when Fanny Fanny was still playing and the great Trevor Quick joins us on the line for a, uh, just a quick interview. Trevor, good evening. Thanks for being able to speak to us tonight on SAFM. Uh, good evening, Zubiza. Nice to talk to you again. Thanks, Trevor. We always want to use this show just to educate uh, the youngsters about, or the young ones, or the non-sporting people about our heroes of yesteryear. We've got Fenecha Fane de Villiers on the line. I mean, how would you describe his impact? Well, he was a great cricketer, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he was a genuine swing bowler. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they are few and far between these days. A lot of people rush in and, uh, you know, really hurl it down at a tremendous pace. But the art of swing bowling is um, not quite sometimes what it used to be. 
And Arnie was, uh, Farney was one of the great ones who was able to swing the ball and, I might tell you, at a pretty lively pace. Mm. So um, he was really a very, very good bowler. And I think his, his test record shows that. I mean, he didn't play many test matches like they do these days. Mm. But um, he took close to 100 wickets. I think it was maybe um, 85, Farney, uh, that, that, that you took in, the, in something like 18 or 19 test matches. And that is a, a, a tremendous record in itself, which in, is an indication of just how good a bowler he was. And, of course... He's one-day international. That he he also he took nearly a hundred wickets in one-day international cricket. So he, he was a great exponent of uh, swing bowling. Is there any game or moment that sticks out for you when we mention Fanny De Villiers? Oh yes, without a doubt. I mean, uh, we can never forget that uh, amazing Test match in, in Sydney when uh, I think it was ninety-three, ninety-four. And Australia needed only about 117 runs, I think it was, um, in the second innings to win the Test match. So basically, we had no chance at all. I mean, it, 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 you know, we'd written the Test off, and Farney had other ideas, and he he bowled a most magnificent spell there, and he took six wickets in that innings to bowl them out for 111. So we won by five runs, uh, which nobody gave us a chance of doing. And um, it was a great performance. And if I'm not mistaken, he took 10 wickets in the match. Mm. And he was obviously the man of the match. And that was, I think, the greatest triumph. And if if I'm not mistaken, it was only his second test match. Mm. So, um, you know, he was still a pretty newcomer to to test cricket. And uh, an incredible performance against the Australians in Sydney. uh, And it won us the test match. And that is always sticks out in my mind. And that's why we always call you for Inside Trevor Quick. Thanks for sharing your moments and memories with us of Sonny De Villas. Yes. I, just, I just want to say hello to Uncle Trevor. <laughs> yes, I mean, he's yeah. definitely an era before me. And it was wonderful also to say that he also played here in the Northern Transvaal areas and, and, and our wicketkeeper in those days. So mm. a wonderful cricketer himself that would have had so much more opportunities if he probably played much later. But Trevor, thanks for the kind words. Wonderful to see you. I'll to hear your voice again. We're yeah, missing you on the radio. And I'll tell you. You know, what is a, a lovely thought is that uh, I remember one day sitting in my commentary box at Centurion and Farney was uh, a fairly newcomer in the Northern Transvaal team and he came into my commentary box and uh, when I said hello, Farney, he said, you know what, I've just learned. You also played for Northern Transvaal. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was the first time I really got chatting to to Farney, but he was also a great tourist, old Farney. You know, he he when he went on tours like to Sri Lanka or wherever it was, he was interested in the history of the place. He was interested in getting out and meeting the people mm. and doing things that most cricketers don't do. If they're not playing or practicing, they sit in their hotel rooms. But Farney liked to get out and go places, and uh, uh, he was one of the great characters. Definitely. Thanks, Trevor, uh, for speaking to us and just adding a few words here. You can call us, guys, if you want. Chat to Fanny 891 or you can send voice notes on 061-4104-107. Fanny, he mentioned that you probably didn't play a lot of games for the Proteas as they do these days. You got your call-up very late in your, in your 20s. Had you given up hope or did you still believe you could make it and was it always the goal for you? 
what you're forgetting is that that it was apartheid era. Mm-hmm. Um, we applied the getting um, tour, which is the old Springboks, just just started, and then that tour got cancelled. Mm-hmm. And uh, at 29, we only got into international cricket. Mm. Um, I was 29, Cullen was 29, Alan Donald was 27, Dave Richardson was 32, Brian McMillan was 30. So all of us um, were between 27 and 31 mm. playing for South Africa. That states Clive Rice. Um, uh, and Jimmy Cook, Jimmy Cook they, were, they were also part of the system. And they, so this cricket really caught us at the end of our careers. But mm. something I want to allude to, mm. um, uh, interesting places that I visit, my dad always, uh, he was an academic. And before I went to any country, he used to buy the book of, a, of the country, mm. read it, make, make uh, notes for me that I should have a look at, and reading the book, obviously, on my way to the country or before it and taking it with me got me interested in the place so much so that I, that I kind of knew all the forts' names, the statues' names, the, you know, the basic touristy stuff. And then, obviously, I got interested in, the old, in all the old colonial countries, which is the cricket countries, uh, where a lot of South Africans were buried um, because of, of, of uh, the, the Boer Wars. Um, and... and if you're interested, if you start reading, you will be interested in the country when you get there. Mm. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful example that my dad sent me and my mom, obviously, that was part of the family, to read and to find out about the country before you go. And it was quite interesting. Some of the players, I remember one player, I'm not going to mention names, he literally took my book of Sri Lanka, paged through it, and said to me, Listen, I can't find Singapore anywhere in Sri Lanka. Where is it? Because we obviously flew to Singapore to have nets there, and then we flew into Sri Lanka, and that specific person didn't even know the difference between Sri Lanka and Singapore. Now, it shows you how ignorant, not stupid, but yes. how ignorant people can be because they don't read, because they're not interested, they, they're not inquisitive, they're not teachable. And if you found out enough beforehand, then obviously it makes the tour so much more pleasurable. And, and I was one of the guys that missed sometimes uh, team meetings because the trains couldn't get me back in time to the hotel uh, or the taxis uh, in comparison with uh, the other guy just sitting and, and, and around the swimming pool and having a few sips of, of, of cocktails. <laughs> That's exactly the same thing Alan Donald told us about you, Funny, that you always want to find out about the country wherever you are. But you mentioned your parents. I mean, growing up on a farm, uh, Funny, where did the love for cricket come from? Because I believe you were also very good in javelin and represented SA schools. Well, it's not really SA schools. I think the media got it wrong. It was obviously part of SA's. I was always a good javelin thrower that, that, that's got a couple of medals at SA's, which means that you're one of the top two, three in the country. Mm. But um, that... And mum were both sports people. Every Saturday, we used to go from the farm to Asco, which is in Vienigen, and we used to go and play tennis. And I used to go, I used to watch the cricket guys playing games because obviously I was one of five siblings, and uh, we used to play around and play a little bit of tennis. And, and then we had, then we walked around in this beautiful sporting ground, and uh, I watched the guys play cricket. Never thought I'll be a cricketer one day, but uh, from a farm school of about a hundred kids. To a town school in Sasselburg, uh, probably six, five, six hundred kids. To a high school, um, Sasselburg, which was a little bit bigger. Then I went to Heidelberg, that was a cricketing school. And because of, of, of a teacher, Benny Fenter, um, he got me to play even better cricket. I was a junior provincial cricket player in Standard 5 for Free State. Mm. The only guy that broke through. And 
it comes from that that coach cricket, that coach tennis, that coach uh, uh, bowls, everything that wherever we went on holidays, it was close to a tennis court or a squash court, um, and and that interest obviously got us to be be probably more all-rounded sportsmen than anything else. And uh, I remember Dad playing a massive role in primary school, building the cricket nets, new, um, laying down a cricket pitch that we dug ourselves. All the cricketers that wanted to play cricket at the school, not imagining anymore, went to the river, got turf, put it in, and then planted the grass, watered it every day. Everybody got a chance to look after it. And, and we were the only primary school in Sasselberg with five primary schools that had a turf cricket pitch. Wow. So the interest of your parents, the mobilizing of your parents, the mobilizing of, of, of how to train, what to do if they don't know to get a little bit of extra advice or coaching for that matter, um, was massive. A lot of parents today think the school needs to do it. They send their kids to school, and if the school can't get you to play first-team cricket, then you're probably not good enough, which is not the case. Technical sport, you need extra, extra help. You can't go to school and say you want to try and play in the tennis team. The private coaches outside these days get the kids to play good tennis and they go to school and then they make the first in tennis. Uh, and, and I can say the same with golf and I can say the same with probably all other technical sports. I think rugby and those kind of games, netball and hockey is coached at school, not mm-hmm. privately um, or separately by individual that's obviously exceptional like a father or an extra coach or uncle or whoever it can be. The ripple effect that I had in my family with Youngsters in my family now playing provincial cricket and mm-hmm. obviously representatives cricket. Um, it had to come from within. And you did right. Mom and dad played a massive role. It came from within to become a good sportsman. So very few times in life, I reckon, just turning up at a school makes you a good sportsman. There's a lot of forces and a lot of work and a lot of love happening behind the scenes that people don't always appreciate. I once saw your house on top billing, funny. Um, I mean, you've got a rugby field there, you've got tennis courts, you've got a huge yard there. Are you trying to create then the same environments for your kids that your parents created for you? Yeah, it probably uh, the cameras probably only took pictures of the best pieces, but it, it's, a, it's a semi-little field, uh, small enough cricket uh, with rugby poles, obviously, for little six- and seven-year-olds to play, not bigger than that. Mm. Um, but yes, I one of my biggest and, 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 and probably the biggest dream that I've had was to own a tennis court one day because I remember at the age of nine ten we went to town after ASCO we went to somebody's house that had a tennis court at the house. And my goodness, wasn't that unbelievable? And I thought my if I could have had a tennis court at my house um, when I was young I would have played much better tennis much earlier. And uh, and that dream that dream always stayed. Mm. So uh, when when other people um, started working my age group, they bought a big house or a nice house or a comfortable home. I ended up buying a, a, a small holding way outside town, which is now in Centurion. The town is all around me now. Um, uh, at, a, at a crappy little home, but I had space. And before I, before I fixed the house up, I built a tennis court first, and I said to the missus then, you have to pick either either we, 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 we stay in this townhouse that we're staying in now or I'm going to buy a, a house that's much worse but it's got a big property that we can fix over time. And over time I did fix it up and, and my kids are obviously enjoying a lot of the luxuries now which is the tennis court you're talking about and mm-hmm. rugby poles and a rule yard that's bigger than normal.
Do you still have to kick it over the poles to drink a beer, to get a beer Absolutely. at Fanny's house? Yeah, there's a lot of guys walking away with dry throats because they couldn't kick it over. I've got this little issue alluding now to, uh, to people coming to visit me, and before they, they're allowed to have a drink, they need to place kick a ball, even if it's from 10 meters from the poles, and otherwise they couldn't. And poor Simba that you saw on top yes, of it, yes. that, that, that the individual, he died. He's not with us anymore. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. He's so rest in peace, and he couldn't get it over, I remember. But we've got uh, so many voice notes for you, Fanny Develias, and we're also going to go to Colin in Cape Town, but let's go to the voice notes. Evening, Tabiso and Fanny. Uh, this is Morris from Nelsprate. I just got a question for Fanny. Uh, funny, despite the Proteus having great players, we haven't had a good run in the major tournaments. I mean, by winning the ultimate prize. What could be the cause for that? Why can't we win major tournaments? Thank you. Good evening, Funny. Good evening, Mr. Tabisom Now, on the Australian tour, uh, you you when you acted as a twelfth man and you would use a remote control car to send drinks to the batsmen on the field. Can you comment uh, on this um, uh, story? And then um, in against England at the Oval in 1994, you uh, you bowled a bouncer to English fast bowler Devon Malcolm, hitting him on the front of the helmet and knocking him down. Malcolm is reported to have said that. To the nearby South African fieldsmen, you guys are history. Uh, is that true uh, or not? Thank you, Tsilibra, here in East London. Evening, dear member Tulani from Milan. Great guest today. Great insights on cricket. We're learning. Hey, thanks. Can you please ask him about his opinion about the director of cricket now and the coach of the Proteas? Thanks. Okay, thanks for those voice notes, guys. I'll start from the top. Uh, Funny, uh, the lack of success at major tournaments, the World Cup, or, or why uh, do you think that is? Well, firstly, I think um, if if at, I remember at one stage we were way better than anybody else in one day cricket. I think we played about forty six games, uh, fifty four games, and we won forty six of them. And in that specific World Cup that I'm talking about now. Um, we won uh, eight in a row in the ninth game. We lost in a semi-final. Um, one-day cricket, I need to explain to people that in one-day cricket, there's probably about a 35% luck factor. So if you play against a team, a better team than you, uh, or a very similar team rather, uh, you've got a 30% chance to lose the match. Mm. T20 cricket, I would say if you play similar teams than you, you've got a probably a 50-50% chance of losing a match. There's, there might be even a 60% luck factor, like some people, some commentators say, there's a 60% chance of you losing the match because of the luck factor that's involved in the game. Test cricket, I think there's a 7-8% luck factor. Um, and if we played World Cups in the past, and uh, come semi-finals, and uh, it was out of three, I think we would have ended up in the finals and probably would have won or two because we had good teams in the past. But a knockout... Um, I remember the, the, the one World Cup that we played in, we were beating everybody eight in a row, ninth game, West Indies, uh, and we got to the ground. It was already the fourth game that was going to be played on that specific cricket pitch, and we all said to Hansi Kunye, listen, my friend, this thing is so deteriorated over this last few days or weeks that if you lose the toss, you're probably going to lose the match if we bat second. And we did lose the toss. Um, West Indies batted first. They got a fair score. They bowled it out for 170, 180. I think the spinners took eight or nine wickets. Some guys were bowling that wasn't even spinners, bowling, mm. spinning, uh, uh, turning the ball on that specific wicket because of the conditions of the track. So a lot of luck, 
But uh, big match temperament, I don't think. It's just the one where Herschel Gibbs kind of dropped the ball that, that, that probably cost us. Uh, the rest was literally um, probably conditions more than anything else. And a once-off game. Once-off game, anybody can lose. I remember that remote control when you were 12th men there. Uh, what was the thinking there, Fanny? Oh, well, basically the night before, every in Australia, every night there's another shopping centre open till 12 o'clock, <laughs> around the clock. So... Uh, every night, whoever wanted to go shopping, um, just opened the paper up, found that shopping center that's open and went, and we went there the one evening, and I bought this remote control car, and uh, the idea was to play in the corridors of the hotels with it, and uh, I thought it was a calculated risk, risk to take it out on the field and send it out uh, to Gary Kirsten, Peter Kirsten, Batty in those days, mm. and uh, it was a hell of a heat in Australia, massive. In actual fact, um, I got a mail from a gentleman in Cape Town that was importing all these cars and I, he said to me a week or two later he said listen my friend you've just made me a millionaire um, overnight I've got no stock in actual fact I'm flying stock into South Africa because of the everybody was buying it and uh, came back and I had from Lamborghinis to Porsches to Ferraris to whatever dropped off at my house I probably had about seven eight remote control cars dropped off in thanks of the gentleman and, and then pick and pay came up with uh, why don't we make a funny 4x4 buck and uh, they did it too and uh, they sold out within two weeks out of all the pick and pays in South Africa I don't know how many mm. thousand units and it was a funny 4x4 truck so that obviously grabbed the attention and I should have patented it because everybody's using it now today <laughs> Before I go to the next two questions let's just take Colin on the line Colin, good evening from Cape Town Hello Colin Hi Colin Okay, no, he can't hear us at the moment. Let's go Let's go to the other question. I mean, oh, we've got Colin. Hello, Colin. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you now, sir. Hi, Tabisha and uh, Fawny. Fawny. Good evening, Colin. Uh, I'm just wondering. I've, always, I've wondered for some time now. You know, um, we had some great, great, great bowlers, even yourself, soon bowling. How come we haven't... Heard from you guys trying to coach uh, guys at the moment now. Have, have you ever been offered a coaching, bowling coach? Or even yes. Donald and those guys, you know what I mean? Gartler, who in it? And let, let, let me take you back in time, Colin. It, it's quite topical when it comes to coaching, quality coaching, knowledge coaching, expertise coaching, the finer refined uh, little bits that, that I've talked about earlier in the show. Yes. Um, Ali Bacher, after, after 98, Ali Bacher started a national coaching panel. And we got our kid, myself, going, Paula Clive Rice. Uh, there were quite a few guys, obviously, that played um, from opening batsman, Jimmy Cook, to Kepler Vessels, left-hand opening batsman. Um, there were about, there must have been about seven, eight or nine of us. We got our kit, we got our jackets, we got everything kitted out at the United Cricket Board. And the idea was for us um, to visit the different unions. And it wasn't a full-time job or anything of the sort. I think it was a sixpence more than anything else that you would have got paid for spending. We, were, we said, all, all of us said, uh, we're willing to spend four days a month mm. um, out of our normal working conditions to go and visit these places. And it will be our pleasure. Long story short, what happened is you arrive at the cricket net. And I remember arriving in Buela. And I saw the bowlers running in straight. And I said to the one guy, just bowl it wider outside of some this delivery. And the ball suddenly started swinging. And I said, so you can be a swing bowler. Hmm. No, I, he says, only the, only the wide ones swing. So I said, but why don't you change your angle? Running in from a, with an angle, 
and closing up, which means that you're going to swing it straight. And he did that. And, and then he said to the coach, but why haven't you taught me this? Which had a level three. Now, I'm commentating cricket in South Africa, and I can see the guys making mistakes, which is a very small, fine-tuned entity that only if you played the game and you've done it a lot over the years and you've also, through experience, picked it up, you wouldn't be able to coach it. What happened is, suddenly the coach felt, listen, I'm getting undermined here. My coach, my, my guys are saying, but coach, you've never told, told us this. You've never told us this. You've never told us that. Fani has told us about this too and that too. And the bowling coach that was, the batting coach that was there with me also pointed out a few things that he picked up in his career. And suddenly the coach looks like he doesn't know what's going on. They dismantled it within two, three weeks after that. Because the coaches aren't teachable. The coaches don't want to know. The coaches believe in themselves because they, that's their frame of reference. And that ended up for the whole coaching panel to be dismantled. And, and we could never visit any grounds again because all the coaches were up in arms with us turning up, giving, giving, uh, putting on, putting, putting on the, on the, on the, on the cards a lot of stuff that the coaches there doesn't know. And it wasn't the case of, don't you guys know it? It's just a way of coaching got all these things to come to the fore. And uh, that caused a lot of problems. And that's hence the reason that, uh, that there's no national coaching panel. I was offered a coaching um, uh, job with uh, Gerald Majola, mm. sat down with him, and uh, obviously we couldn't come to terms. And, I, and at the end, I didn't take the job. And obviously for us now to be uh, used anywhere, it's not going to happen because the coaches will feel threatened if we turn up and we put stuff on the table that they've never told their players. And that's a sad state of South African cricket. That's why we all believe that South African cricket at this specific stage is weaker than it was even when I played the game. Because you have to look at the, 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 the averages just on, 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 on the top players in the country, and you'll see, the, you'll see a big difference. So I'm afraid to say um, swing bowling and the defined coaching is still going to take a lot of time um, to get to the to the next level that I think it should be. And I think other countries are benefiting from it. South Africa is not benefiting from the expertise in the system. On that note, there was a question about your thoughts on the director of cricket, Graham Smith, and Mark Boucher being the head coach. Um, it all depends. It honestly all depends what effect they can have on the on the junior levels. I mean, it's easy for, for the top guys to do well. It's easy for the top guys to phone Fani De Villiers and Jimmy Cook and Mackay and Tini and find out about this and find out about that and develop. But for the junior levels, the knowledge that Graham Smith has, obviously managing and hopefully pulling out the knowledge into the system is very positive. But the knowledge that, that um, uh, uh, Mark Boucher, I mean, would his advice really be used at the lower level? We need advice and we need support at the lower level of cricket, which is um, the junior better plays in the province right through to, to your senior better plays in that province. Uh, they need to get advice sooner than they are getting it now to evolve quicker into the system because you need these better players to get through the system much quicker. You've got Australians that, that get into the system at, at the age of 18, 19, 19 20, and they're already... Um, match winners. We've got the Markrams and the uh, Riley Rousseau's and the Stian van Sales and the Hamzas and the guys are 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 years old when they get to start playing. And I know Markram is much younger, but I'm talking about um, uh, even even the two boys playing at this stage 
mm. for South Africa that's made their de- debuts. They're 30 years old. These guys should have been coached to this level at a much earlier age. And I really hope that Mark Boucher can change that in the coaching system to develop these guys much earlier, to have them ready for South Africa at an earlier age. And a lot's been said about the structure of the domestic game here in South Africa. I think you've touched on it. People are saying the game is not where it was years ago. But what do you make of, of, of the structure and just the standard of the domestic game now? I'll kind of answer it uh, in, the previous, in the previous answer. I don't think the coaching levels are up to standard. I don't think the coaching levels at school is up to standard anymore. I don't think uh, the levels of, of cricket is played properly. My boy is a young, is a young cricketer at the age of 11 now. It's a good little cricket play. If he makes a tight and steam as a batsman, he's not allowed to bowl um, before the fifth bowler's bowl. If he if he if he bowls if he if he if he bow, opens the bowling, he's not allowed to bat within the first five. Um, so that hampers the all-rounders in your system. They play 30, 40 over games, which is which is uh, which isn't uh, all that great. They should start playing a longer game cricket, 50 overs earlier. There's a lot happening at a very early age that's got a ripple effect, obviously, on your senior levels. And, uh, and, and it's a sad state when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to enforcing knowledge onto the players that I don't think is up to standard. Mm. And that's the biggest problem. I had a little provincial um, cricket player here today at my cricket match. Obviously, we live next to each other, so the little boy came over quickly just to run away. And he's getting coached by people in the system, and I can see as a bowler that, my goodness, if he bats like that when, when I'm a bowler, this is how I will get him up, and he's not getting coached right. So uh, I'm afraid to say the coaching levels of this country is not up to standard, from junior level to provincial level school, right through to, uh, to the senior level. And that's got a, a ripple effect. That causes a lot of ripple effects, obvious, on your senior cricket. A guy like Markram and the likes of Hamza, I mean, surely, they should, at the age of 23, 24, 25, be world beaters if they were that good at school level. What are funny, yes, what are funny De Villiers' views on transformation? Some say uh, it's dropped the standard of the first-class game, but others believe that it's very necessary because those black players would never get a chance. I want to take you back in time. And Trevor Quirk, if he still listens, can probably can also elude uh, 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 towards that. You know the Afrikaners? I was one of the first Afrikaans boys to make the team. And we thought, uh, and, and, and in the early days, and, and even even Angie Cronier's dad, Mr. Strait, uh, I mean, he, Evie. Uh, Evie Cronier, he played a massive role in trying to uplift the Afrikaans-speaking cricketer to start making the provincial teams and to start making the international teams. He played a massive role. So uh, I can see that, they, 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 that there's been a lot of, um, a lot of feelings behind the scenes of players not making it. And today, you've got a lot of colored players and a lot of black players that's making, uh, make it in, making it in cricket because systems are in place to get these guys to play cricket as quickly as they can, as good as they can. Because we obviously need to develop the young players that's not going to all the cricket in school. I do believe that, that uh, provincial cricket is not as strong as it was, but I'm one of the people that has bought into um, the transformation of cricket. I was one of the guys that, that spent hours and hours and hours every week coaching cricket right through my studies in the townships in Mamelodi and Atridgeville, and there were a lot of youngsters. The sad part at WSU is that mm. it's an expensive game. It's mm. a difficult game. It's a game that, that meets your family behind you. It's a game that needs uh, you to, to not work weekends 
to, to become a cricket player. So you lose a lot of players. I ran two bursaries per year um, for about 15 years running at Watercloof High School, and not one of my players ended up making it properly. Mm-hmm. Only one colored boy ended up making it. But all the black players had to work Saturdays just to make a living. So after a year or two, um, they just couldn't play cricket anymore. They had to start working to feed their families and to support the families around them. And that, lost, uh, that, that causes a lot of young black players that's good enough to play not to be uh, pulled into the system. The problem is people don't understand the evolving of cricket. It takes a normal white boy probably four to five years after school to be good enough to play provincial cricket. So come 22, then he's only good enough to start becoming a proper cricket player that, that could stay in the team at, as, uh, uh, at the provincial level. The cricket academies right through South Africa, within the first two years, they chuck all these boys out and then they must send for themselves and they can't. So you need cricket development programs that, that looks after players for four or five years because the more you practice, the better you get. And it takes four or five years for a white boy. What about a guy that's not coming from a cricket school? Probably going to take him seven years to get there. Mm. And we're losing a lot of players out. So I'm definitely part of the transformation, um, supported it for us to get back into South African cricket and obvi- obviously on the ethical reasons that, that it supports too. But I'm afraid to say I don't think there's enough money in the system. Uh, the, the fight that I had or the... Uh, alteration that I had with the uh, Minister of Sport on one of my television shows mm. uh, was literally, you guys are shouting the odds, telling us to do this, telling us to do that. Where is the money? You guys are not putting any money into development of cricket. It's only Mercedes-Benz and it's only MTN and it was Vodacom in those days and it was Baker's Biscuits. They are the, so at the end, we're developing 350 schools of 34,000 schools. Now out of 350 schools, which is 170 white cricket schools, we need now to, to um, enforce development of cricket into the system. We need the government to buy into it, to force cricket into the schools in South Africa. Then we're going to find more John T. Roses and Mackay teams and, and, and Dursal Gibbs. But I'm afraid to say it's not happening and the development program will always be slow in South Africa because there's not enough money to go to all the schools. And yeah. I can tell you now, I wonder if there are more than 400 black schools in this country playing cricket. I'll... I'll, I'll I promise you, I'll bet somebody a thousand bucks if that's not the case. Yes. And that's where the problem is. I was actually reading a research paper this week that was uh, saying that over 60% of players who've played for the Proteas come from boys' schools or cricket playing schools. And out of 119 players who played for the Proteas at World Cups, 78 attended a boys' only as a school. So I think it also talks to what you're saying, funny, that they no, are not equal sport. opportunities. It's a technical sport that needs technical advice, proper coaching, yeah. and I'm afraid to say we're not getting it. That, that, that most of our only normal normal Model C schools don't even have that. What about the, the poor kids that's got schools in, 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 in the township? That's not even going to happen. Let's go to more voice notes. Yeah, I tell you, so what, it, what inspired his bowling action? Um, was he coached to do that or it just came naturally? Because he was a one-off bowler who had this funny action where he pulled the ball almost at, at waist height. And today you hardly see that because bowlers are almost being coached to pull the ball at, at shoulder height. And does it generate more pace when you pull it at waist height than at shoulder height? It's AP from East London. Okay, thanks uh, for that, AP. What led to that bowling style, funny? Because I remember how you used yeah, to hold the ball. Also. I think he's thinking more of, of, of Malinga. But <laughs> uh, my arm was probably about one o'clock, half past one, 
Where I, when I delivered the ball, I think I uh, the funny thing in my action is firstly I wasn't a proper athlete when it comes to running. Uh, I had a little bit of cadence, but not the not the running style that one should have. Uh, Alan Donald was a perfect athlete. That's why he looked so fluent and, and like Mufanek Gum. They had a beautiful action, beautiful runner. Um, I always try to hide the ball because I used to buy a lot of off-cutters and also a swing. But uh, the moment I bowled the off-cutter, the ball was different in my hand and I tried to hide it. That's why the, the wrist kind of bent back um, when just before I bowled. Mm-hmm. But uh, bowling actions is very much how you grew up. Um, it's, it's not coached. Um, what got me to play with a funny action and a bad run-up was just a lot of muscle strength and muscle endurance level strength. Because a lot of kids at, the, at school level or 18, 19, 20 year level can bowl a good ball, but to bowl four or five uh, good balls in an over is very difficult. And that's where you need a lot of muscle and a lot of muscle endurance. And that's the only kind of coaching training that I had really. Um, luckily, I had a cocked wrist that got the ball to swing. That helped a lot, but specific style of, of, of bowling action, I don't think it can because that's why in the IPL there's probably 35 bowlers and, and 35 are bowling with different actions. Trevor earlier mentioned that game in Sydney that we all remember like it was yesterday funny when the team defended 117 with you taking 6 for 43 in that second innings including that return catch of Glenn McGrath. As a team did you really believe that you could defend that total because going into that, that day you were, 100, you were 100 to 1 with the bookmakers. You know, I, I took the first four wickets the night before, mm. and uh, the, the Sydney wicket literally scratched the ball to such an extent that you could only swing the ball within the first eight, seven, eight, nine overs. Then the ball was too scratched because of the kind of turf that they used. Very much Pakistan kind of little cracks on that mm. Sydney wicket. And the season before, I played cricket for Kent. And mm. that specific year, and, and the peers can go and have a look, in 1990, they, they made the seam much smaller than the previous year. And they also, um, and it was bad luck for me to play county cricket at that stage with the driest summer since 1974, and it was 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, we literally played on, on brown wickets, um, outfields, and it was a nightmare to take wickets. So I ended up um, not swinging the ball there that year because of the seam, and I ended up bowling more off-cutters for LBWs and inside edges onto the wickets than anything else. I played games where I bowled 40 overs for one wicket, where I bowled, I promise you, 39 overs off cutter, just to try and get movement off the track. And uh, I had that variation when I went into a Sydney match, and within the first few overs, not swinging it, I started bowling off cutters, and it worked very well for me to held back, and it obviously seemed in, got a lot of LBWs, caught a couple of catches on the leg side, and... and and, and inside edges and left-handers was easy to do because of the ball nipping away from the wicket. So I took the first four wickets the night before, mm. and I realized that it's a low total. I think they needed 67 or whatever the last day. Mm. But that 67 was going to play like 140 runs because they, they wouldn't be hitting force. The, the ball is holding back, and, uh, and they're going to get a lot of singles and try and win it in singles. And that gave me a, a kind of hope. And that's why I obviously said, that South Africa has, uh, has got a good chance of winning this test match. Still, I remember Ali Bacher saw me the next morning and he opened up the paper after he had a run in the foyer and it said they finally the really says they, still, they can still win this game. And I came down um, the staircase. He says, funny, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> and uh, he couldn't believe that I said that. And luckily, it worked out well for us. Yeah. I think we were positive but naive. Yeah. Positive. 
because we were just back into international cricket for 20 years before we couldn't play international cricket and and uh, and and we knew kind of enough of the game to realize that they are going to get a lot of singles more than fours and threes and uh, hopefully we've got a chance we've knocked over four if we can uh, get another one or two early then there's a good chance so obviously that's the kind of patriotism that one's need, one needs when you play cricket to say that your country can still do it and 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 uh, also, probably the naive kind of positiveness that helps you through the hard times. Let's and actually hear well from, from your partner in crime there, Alan Donald. We called him and he reflects on that game. Well, that was one of the finest spells you've seen. He got three wickets the night before. I, I picked up one. Um, they were four down um, and, and still needing 75 to win the next day. Uh, you know, it was... It was uh, it was an exceptional performance from Fani. He took 10, 10, 10 wickets in that game. Mm. You know, we we all saw the um, that was such a tight tight finish. You know, it was one of the best Test matches you'll ever wish to play in, and, and to be part of at the SCG. I still remember uh, Steve uh, Mark War or yeah Mark War calling Hansi Cronier over. Uh, we we used to go in the opposition change room, and we were all, all in there. And uh, Mark Wall said to Hansi Cronier, well, um, why don't you just lob a few up tomorrow morning and we'll get it done. And, and uh, of course, in typical De Villiers fashion, he just said to Mark Wall, you make sure you bring a handkerchief tomorrow because you'll need it after the game. <laughs> and they definitely needed it after the game. Great storytelling there from Alan Donald. For the sake of time, Fanny, we've only got two minutes left. I just want you to talk us through busting the Aussies in that scandal because you are the commentator that saw that the ball was was moving. What did you see that made you believe that they were using something illegal? I didn't do the first match and Dover match and obviously the ball was reverse swinging very early in the 27th over or something. The ball started reverse swing and I realised there's something wrong because South African wickets don't uh, get a ball to scuff up that badly to reverse that early. Mm. And I could bowl reverse swing. My last wicket that I got in, in, in anger was against Pakistan with reverse swing. So I could bowl the reverse swing. And my action kind of allowed reverse swing. But you, you can only get it after about 50 overs in South Africa. And uh, and the next match we did, and Super Sport obviously was on these guys' cases. In that specific match, I started looking at Warner's hands with the plaster and checking it and 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 and, uh, and, and even um, uh, five people she said check out his hands and obviously the camera started moving around and I had a lot of the people asking me about reversing when I joined the commentary team the second day's match and I said to them listen guys you, it's impossible ball cannot um, reverse before 30 overs they must be scratching it so keep on having a look and and uh, and they've been doing it for obviously the first day's match and the second day's match and the third one they caught the boys out I think it was the third man they caught them out and uh, it was an absolute nightmare. But it wasn't it wasn't me telling them ever look because they asked. It, it, it was common knowledge that they must be scratching the ball. But I was the only guy in the commentary system that was a reverse swing bowler. That's why most people came to me and asked me, listen, can it be, can it reverse swing much earlier? And obviously the, the, the conversation went the way of only after 40, 50 hours you can really get reverse swing in South Africa. Unless you play on the PE wicket of the 1970s, 80s then you can get reversing probably earlier. <laughs> but uh, the Super Sport production, uh, Alvin Eich and the guys did a great job to catch these guys up. And, and uh, if you just need to go and have a look at Stark's record mm. uh, before and after 
on the amount of wickets he's taken, it shows you that they must have been doing it for a long time. Sure. Funny, an hour has gone by so quickly, but it's been a pleasure to pick your brain and talk cricket with you. I think we've picked up so much and learned so much from this conversation with you, especially your insight about fast bowling. Thank you very much for speaking yeah. to us. We wanted to just give you the respect that you deserve and highlight what you've achieved and share your story. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that Alan Donald is getting old too. He definitely didn't get a wicket the night before, so obviously after 50 things are going, but I'll just check for in case I'm wrong. Okay, but I'm, <laughs> sh- I'm sure you're happy that he's back in South African cricket, though, involved in the system now. Absolutely. We need everybody. We Hopefully we will never use the Makai and Tinis and the Alan Donalds and the Princess to other countries. They must stay here. Great stuff. Fanny, a pleasure talking to you, sir. Uh, thank you for the memories and all the best. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to have to leave it there, folks. It is time for news.